Let's pray together. Uh, is the volume okay? Everybody can hear me. Do I need to turn it up or it's, it's okay? Should I turn up a little bit? Is that better? Yeah? Okay, good. If, uh, if you need to turn it up a little bit more, just tell me and I'll do that. Let's pray. Hello, we, we give you um, thanks. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the invitation that you make to us to come together um, to worship you, to lift you up. And as we do, as we set our eyes on you, you transform us. And this is our desire now that you would transform us as we gaze upon you and your word. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as you know, uh, the Psalms of Ascent um, were sung by God's people as they were making their way up to Jerusalem three times a year for the great uh, festivals that they were commanded to keep. And we actually hear that command in Exodus 23, verses 14 to 16, which I want to read to you. But before I do, I just want to say what I want you to notice is how central or how closely linked farming and agriculture are to these festivals. So this is the Lord speaking. This is Exodus 23, verses 14 to 16. The Lord says this, Three times a year you are to hold a festival for me. Verse 15, Hold the spring festival of unleavened bread when you eat unleavened bread for seven days at the time set forth, set for the month of Abib, as I commanded you. That was the month that you came out of Egypt. No one should show up before me empty-handed. So that's the feast of the Passover. Verse 16 goes on and says, Hold the summer festival of harvest when you bring in the first fruits of all your works in the field. So that's the Feast of Pentecost in the summer. You're bringing in the first fruits from the harvest. And then verse 16 ends by saying, Hold the autumn festival of ingathering at the end of the season when you bring um, in the year's crops. So that's the Feast of Tabernacles when all the crops are brought in. So I just want you to see how central farming and agriculture were to the life of God's people. Two of the three main festivals were agricultural festivals. People of Israel were an agricultural people. And so there's no wonder why this psalm, or psalm from today, Psalm 126, would be sung as they were making their way up to Jerusalem for these festivals, or maybe even was written for one of these, these festivals, whether it's the festival of harvest or the festival of ingathering. Now, when the people of Israel were going up to Jerusalem for these agricultural festivals, they would sing and prayerfully cry out, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bringing, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing their sheaves with them. These were prayers that were being prayed from people who depended upon God for the provision of the harvest, as millions of people around the world still do today including ourselves, but at maybe a bit more of a distance. That the tears that are being referred to in this psalm aren't just metaphorical tears, but that they are the very real tears of parents who have chosen to sow their last seeds into the ground instead of feeding their hungry and crying children. It's important, I think, for us to know that this is not just nice poetic language. These are words of an agricultural people who are dependent upon God for provision of their daily bread in a way that is foreign to many of us who live in urban centers in the developed world. They were very fortunate. We can go and get any fruit and vegetable any time of year, anything we want, 
We're very, very fortunate for that. Not many people around the world have that opportunity. These were the very real prayers and tears of people who were dependent upon God for the harvest. Now, many of us uh, are not in that same position. We don't need to sow our last seed into the ground while our children are crying in the background. Um, But we all still do need God's provision and care. We are all still dependent upon God. And I think that's one of the most important things that COVID has taught us, that it has revealed our need and our dependency upon God. It has revealed the fragility of our lives. It's exposed how fragile we actually are and the lack of control that we actually have. And it invites us to live humbly and dependently upon God. And the situation that's described in Psalm 126 um, it's, it's, I think we're, we're kind of living in a, in a similar time in, in that it's an in-between time. In Psalm 126, the central prayer is found in verse 4, which says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. It's this, it's this cry for restoration. They're looking backwards and they're longing for something, for something more to happen in the end. They have a hope for the future. And it uses this very, this language of scarcity and lack and deficiency and drought to convey these feelings that the people are currently feeling. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. On one side of the prayer, as I said, verses 1 and 2, they're looking backwards, this past time of glory. And then on the other side, verses 5 and 6, it's this future hope that's being expressed. And both are described with the same word that's translated as shouts of joy. But those shouts of joy aren't the current experience of the people of God at that moment when they're praying this prayer. They're living in this in-between time. And I think for us, similarly, we find ourselves in an in-between time, do we not? Where we look back um, with longing at things that, look, that seem so normal in the past. I was going down the wrong aisle in a grocery store because now they have arrows on every aisle, and like the anxiety all of a sudden. I felt so guilty for doing it. Like, oh, I can't wait for the day when I could just go down any aisle in a grocery store. <laughs> this could be wonderful. I could shake hands without worrying about like, okay, now I got to go wash my hands. And like just that acute anxiety, that acute fear that is just constantly there. All those things seem so luxurious now, just going down an aisle without thinking about anything. Um, we long for those days. But God willing, we know that 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 time will come to an end. We will get back to normal. We will be able to sit closer to one another in church again and not have to worry about distancing. Um, We'll be able to see people's smiles throughout the day and not have to try and picture it underneath a mask and convey it with my eyes. I really want to show people I'm smiling as I'm standing there with a mask on. All these things, they will come back, but we're still in this in-between period. And I think Psalm 126 can help us live in this in-between period because it's not gone yet. We still have this hope for the future. Psalm 126, a psalm that is written in the context of this in-between period, I think can help us learn to live in our in-between period as well. So first, Psalm 126 invites us to look backwards and remember, to remember God's gracious provision and care from the past. As we heard before, it begins by saying, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. 
Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. At this time when they were brought back from exile, they're remembering the joy that they experienced as they came back from exile. The invitation of Psalm 126 is made specifically to a people who are facing challenging times and experiencing scarcity and drought. They're hoping for the future. And the first thing that they're called to do is look backwards and remember God's acts of provision from the past. That he brought them out of exile. That he brought them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. That he has continued to reveal his steadfast love to his people over and over and generation after generation. We look back at those things. When we're in these in-between seasons, it's good and it's important and we must look backwards and remember God's acts of gracious provision for his people. So we look at history, we look at scripture, we we read scripture, we allow it it to inspire us and see the way that God has, has cared for his people year after year, generation after generation. There are long periods in between you know, a long period in Scripture is between Genesis and Exodus. There's 400 years. We read them so quickly. 400 years between those two. It's a long time. Sometimes these in-between periods last a long time, but we look back and we see the way that God has been faithful to his people. We look in Scripture. We look at our own lives and community together. We see that God has been faithful to us, this church, year after year, season after season, generation after generation. We look at our own lives, our own personal histories, see the way that God has provided for us. One of the beautiful aspects um, of our gospel reading from today is the unique way that Jesus healed that man who was brought to him, is it not? He puts his fingers in the man's ears, he spits and touches his tongue. Like, I don't know if there's any, I don't know if there's two um, of the exact same healings in Scripture. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong about that, but you, know, you see all these different ways in which Jesus did this, spitting on the ground, making mud, creating a pace for people's eyes. He, he meets each one of us in the unique ways that we need. I think that's something important to remember. Kim and I watched a wonderful movie last night. I don't know if anybody else has seen it. Worth, has anybody else seen this? It's new on Netflix. It was really good. Um, it's about the 9-11 um, um, what, what's the name of the fund, do you recall? Compensation fund. So to help compensate the victims, the families of the victims of 9-11, and to go through this process. In the movie, I don't want to spoil it all, but basically it's, it's starting out from a, a very um, distant perspective. I need to come up with a formula to pay out to these people. But it's this process of realizing that you can't just treat people like um, you know, numbers on a page, that each person needs the dignity and the unique care that they all deserve. We see that with Jesus, do we not? When we read scripture, we see the unique ways that he came and cared for all these different people. He treated each person as an individual. Think back about those things. During this time of of this this in-between time for ourselves, it's good to look back at our own personal history and see the ways in which Jesus has met each one of us uniquely. Take time to think about that this week. Uh, The act of remembering what we see in Psalm 126 is that the act of remembering, it funds our hope for the future as well. I mentioned before that it's the same word in verses 2 and 6 that are translated as shouts of joy. It's reminding this past time in which 
All we heard in Jerusalem, all they heard in Jerusalem were these shouts of joy, and they're imagining once again in verse 6, a time when there will be shouts of joy again. It's taking from the past, uh, it's borrowing from the past and placing it into the future. The remembrance of the past acts of God's provision, when they experienced shouts of joy, when our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy, they remember back, and then they look ahead. We shall come home with shouts of joy once again, bearing the sheaves with us. So we borrow that past experience of joy. We allow it to subsidize our hope for the future. We look both ways. We look in both directions. And here's the thing. We have every reason to do so because of the character and nature of God, because of who God is, that he has acted this way to save his people in the past. He will act again to save his people in the future. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is his character and his nature. Therefore, we can trust in these promises. We have a hope for the future. We have a future hope because of God's character never changes. He's patient and kind, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Scripture reminds us all the time that patient care of God. And he has shown us most clearly in his son Jesus the lengths that he will go to to bring about salvation for us. We have every reason to hope for the future. Eugene Peterson said it like this in the book that we've been reading together. He said this, There's no reason to suppose that God will arbitrarily change his way of working with us. What we have known of him, we will know of him. Just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from the future, he said. And so for us, as we find ourselves longing for the end of COVID or longing for different things, whatever challenges you might be facing at this time, We stand on the hope that we have of God's character, that he has worked in the past, he will work again. There's a joyful anticipation. It's not just wishful thinking. We stand on the promise of who he is. He is our firm foundation. And then uh, just sort of the last thing here, the last thing that we see in this passage is that we see something beautiful happen. And you almost watch it happen in real time in verse 3. They look backwards at the past and they say, remember that time when everybody would say about us, the Lord has done great things for them. And it's almost like he's reminding himself, yes, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad, he says, present tense. It has happened right now. It has transformed my present reality by looking backwards with this hope for the future. It transforms the present. That's what we see in verse 3. The Lord has, indeed, the Lord has done great things for us. He's repeating what he heard other people say. We are glad, we are joyful right now. That's our current experience of reality. Even in the midst of this longing, I'm still glad. I can still experience joy even now. It's a statement of their current reality, even before those hopes have been realized. So what we see is that this act of remembering God's gracious action in the past It not only gives hope for the future, but it it transforms our present experience. And we receive God's joy in the midst of it. There's something almost mysterious about it. But it happens. It can't be manufactured. It can't be faked. It is a gift from God. So Peterson said this, One of the most interesting and remarkable things Christians learn is that laughter does not exclude weeping. 
Christian joy is not an escape from sorrow. Pain and hardship still come, but they are unable to drive out the happiness of the redeemed. He went on and said, there is plenty of suffering on both sides, both past and future. The joy comes because God knows how to wipe away tears and in his resurrection work, create the smile of new life. He said this, I think this is important. Joy is what God gives, not what we work up. We can't try and fake it. It's not something that we just try and produce. We don't just put on a smile, put on a happy face. It's a gift that comes from God as we trust in him and give ourselves to him. This joy is not dependent, Peterson said, on our good luck in escaping hardship. It's not dependent on good health and the avoidance of pain. Christian joy is actual, meaning we experience it even in the midst of pain, suffering, loneliness, and misfortune. And what I think is important about that is that there's no denial here. It's not trying to deny reality, right? This, this can be one of the dangers for us. We just want to experience that joy that we want to push past the present experience of pain. There's no denial of pain here. It says that somehow, mysteriously and miraculously, even in the midst of it, God meets us with his joy. Because God meets us in himself. The very presence of Jesus meets us in our anguish and in our pain. That's the promise of the incarnation. So here's what I think, just sort of by way of like a, a, bit, a practical thing for us to be doing. Um, joy, again, is not something that we manufacture, but I think we can live into it. The present current joy that we have, I think we can live into by the act of giving thanks by recognizing that even in the midst of the challenges that we face, we still have much to give thanks for. And I've been deeply encouraged uh, by my brothers and sisters here at Emmaus. When we have met um, in different groups or just one-on-one and people have told me all the things, they've been honest about the, the challenges of this season, but they've also just borne testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of it. And they've reminded me, even my moments when I'm feeling like just down, they have reminded me that I still have much to give thanks for. So, so one of the ways I think we, we can sort of step into the joy and present gladness that we actually have, and that's what it's done for me anyways. It's been that reminder of, yes, actually, I need to see things like this. And when I do, I start to experience God's joy. It's not manufactured, but it's given. Um, so even in the midst of the pain and the challenge that we face, we're still invited to give thanks. That giving thanks does not deny the pain, but it still recognizes all those things that we do have to give thanks for. So it reminded me of Paul's words, which I think very much echo Psalm 126, where he said in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Prayer, rejoicing, and giving thanks. I think you can trace all of those things in Psalm 126. So the final question, I think, is like, what might you be able to give thanks for today and tomorrow and this week? What are those, those small things, those large things, whatever they are, what might you be able to give thanks for? That's what I would encourage you to think about. And I just want to say for myself, one of the things that I am currently giving thanks for is the ways in which we have continued to remain connected as a community for these past 18 months. I went back this week 
to look at the last time that we celebrated communion on a Sunday, and it was March 8th, 2020, almost 18 months to the day. So I'm amazed by the ways in which we have continued to make this connection, even when we haven't been able to be together physically. And for all of you who are at home, I just want to say that um, what has surprised me and what I give thanks for the most over these past 18 months is that even when we weren't together uh, physically, I have known that we have been together spiritually. There's, there's been something that has transformed my, my view of things that, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it entirely, but it has been um, a real gift to me to know that even when we're at a distance, we're still together. And so I just want to say, when we come to the table today, those of you who are at home, you're here with us. You're gathering around the table with us. We're one body, one spirit. And I've put in the... Um, um, both on the sheet that we have here and in the PowerPoint. So for everybody who had, at home will see this, but I've adapted the, the prayer for spiritual communion, which is part of the prayer book, but I've, made it, I've adapted it slightly. And I'm going to invite people during when we actually receive communion, for everybody here to look at that prayer, for everybody at home, it'll be on the screen for you to take some time to pray that prayer. You at home are praying it. Us here, we are praying it. And what I would specifically invite people to do is that those who are at home, during communion, would you please um, pick one of, like, you know, just allow, come before the Lord and remember us who are here, who are not with you presently. Recall our faces before the Lord. Pray for us. Bring our names before the Lord. For us who are here, would you do that as well? Would you call to mind in the presence of the Lord those who aren't here with us? Call them up by name. Bring their faces to mind. Pray for them as well. We are all coming together to this one table. And that's something that, for me, I've just... Um, yeah, I give thanks for, and I'm grateful for. So for us, um, also, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take some time to pray now for the prayers of the people. Um, just so everybody at home knows, I have set up a microphone here that I'm going to turn on, so hopefully you at home can hear our prayers. We've got speakers set up. We can hear your prayers. Um, so we want to do that as much as we can. We want to remember um, and give thanks that we are together, and the Lord has continued to sustain us as his people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.